This podcast is dedicated to the proposition that every Christian should be a constant and devoted reader of the Bible, and that the primary business of the church and its ministry is to lead, foster, and encourage people in this life-changing habit. Okay, so here we are thriving in the Word. We're back together again. We have uh, Ben with us, Lenny, Johnny, Dave, Mike, and we are jumping back into uh, Scripture here. Uh, We're reading Acts uh, chapters 8 through 14. So we've been having a a lot of great conversations about a a lot of these people, the formation of the early church. So I'm just going to open it up and see what stood out to you guys as you've been reading it this past week or two. I think about the individual people in here sometimes, especially now here in Acts, because we're talking about Acts. What did the early church do, the early church members? We are going to talk about Paul a lot, certainly, because the second part of this picks up on his escapades, his adventures, and then into the epistles, which we might do next. Who knows? But um, I was thinking about Philip, and I'm looking at... I know his name was mentioned. I'm I'm starting in chapter 8, I think, verse 4. Yeah, Um, Philip preaches in Samaria. It says, just the first verse there, four, uh, chapter 8, verse 4, but the belie- my book says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And then it goes on, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. And then it talks about crowds listening to him. And, and then if you skip still in chapter 8 over to 26, and the subtitle here is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And... I don't, I don't, did we discuss this at all, this story? Uh, a little bit, not, a little not bit, too yeah. much. So, you know, it, just for anybody who hasn't read this, uh, not here necessarily, but uh, that is listening to us, uh, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And uh, so he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, who was a eunuch, a great authority under the uh, uh, the Queen Kandake, they say, the Queen of Ethiopia. And I don't know, I'm listening, and, and I'm trying to think if, could I do that? Could any of us do this? Just, um, or I don't know if you've questioned yourself on it, to lead what would be called a life of evangelism, the way some of these people did that, the, the, the way some of these men and women, but here we're talking about Philip, actually did this. He just, okay, I'm, I'm led by the Spirit, and I go out, and I'm leading, uh, I'm being led by God. I'm sensitive to God's leading me where I should go. And do we resist that today? I know I, I resist that sometimes and say, I should be doing this, but I'm not doing it. And God's leading me somewhere. And sometimes it's a roundabout way. These men, and I'm, I'm just wondering what happened. What's you know, how wired were they versus how wired am I? Hardwired am I that Philip seems to just you know wherever wherever he is led, he is being led, and and as I said, think being sensitive to what God wants him to do. And and I think in our lives we need to do that. And, and I'm just really when I say we, I'm mostly talking about myself. And I lead you guys, let you guys talk about yourselves, uh, and anybody else that's out to listen. But I think you need to let God lead you. And in our lives today, we're so overwhelmed with everything else in our lives, from materialistic to family to everything that we don't let God lead us. I have to work through that every day, yeah. Dave, every day. I have to um, ask God to help me do the right thing because doing the right thing does hurt sometimes, right? It does take like great sacrifice. But in order to glorify God and honor him, you might be challenged. You might be challenged on what you have to do. For example, 
recently, uh, my tenant tried to sell uh, an item off of Facebook Marketplace, and I didn't realize that he was using me to sell it for him. And the person that sold it, the person that sold it literally thought that I was, I was him. And they gave me the money. And then he took me to the police station to get the money back. So he, he took me and filed a police report and said that I sold his property. Like, what? How did, that doesn't make any sense. Right. To do the right thing would have been to give him the money back. And let me tell you, I didn't want to. He owed me a lot of money. But I did the right thing and gave him the money back because I told him that that money was worth the conversation to let him know that I'm still going to continue to pray for him, that I still wanted to help him if he needed it, that although this is what happened, I still wanted to love him and his family. That was a very hard thing to do because he did certain things that, you know, were inappropriate and just unprofessional. And I did feel disrespected, but it's not my battle to fight if I'm going to honor and glorify God. I got to make sure that my actions don't, that, that I don't react because of what he did, right? That react is a good point because another thing, I tried to identify qualities in the people that we're reading about in the Bible, and, and do I have those qualities or do I aspire to those? Am I trying to get them? And another one is, as opposed to react, is proact. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and Philip to me, was a proactive person. He didn't wait for things. He just did it. Now, he's being led by the Spirit, but he's allowing the Spirit of God to lead him, but he's being proactive in what he needs to do. And are we proactive? And while we're talking, I just want to interject this. For anybody that's listened to us, and I know that there, there are people, and we thank you for listening to us. Uh, if you listen to these podcasts and, and uh, hopefully you uh, get something from it, that it's helping you in your path to toward God, uh, your journey, I uh, want to thank you. And there are several people, three people exactly, came to me this week. I wasn't proactive. They came to me and said, can you tell me, you know, I know you do this podcast. Can you tell me how to get on there? I actually was able to show a person standing right next to me, three people actually, that said they needed to get back to God. They hadn't been to church in a while. So if you are listening, wonderful. And I hope that we are giving you something good to listen to, something that can help you in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that Bible uh, verse out of the book uh, of James. And it's like, don't be hearers of the word, but be rather doers of the word. So whether you're listening or you're reading, to follow God, it doesn't mean to just read your Bible. It is a blessing to have the Bible and to be able to read it and learn from it. But if you're not applying the lessons, like you could learn all the theory in the world, but if you don't get to do some hands-on practical real world experience, you know what I mean? That's, that is foundational to what it means to, to walk with Jesus, is to be full of the Holy Spirit by consuming the word, by hearing it, by reading it, but then trying it opens up a whole new world of possibilities where you're like, this is actually what it's talking about in the book. And you really begin to see miracles take place in your life and in the lives of others. And, and all throughout the book of Acts, we see miracles, right? You see Peter with Tabitha, right? He resurrects her. There's the lame guy, right? You see the Ethiopian eunuch being baptized and him like, you know, teleporting, if you will. There's all, there's all these really profound things happening. As we, um, Go from eight into nine. This is probably my favorite part of the book of Acts. And this is after the stoning of Stephen. He's been murdered. 
Saul of Tarsus is agreeing with his murder and a great persecution begins like we talked about. And it begins to spread like wildfire to the point where Saul of Tarsus now has like documentation to go travel to Damascus to go arrest followers of the way. And for those of you who are listening who do, do who don't know this, the early church was not called a Christian church. They were just called the way because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here he is, he's going, you know, kicking indoors, arresting men, women, and children, and bringing them to justice. Now, as we get into uh, Acts here, I have a couple of sections highlighted because it's to me it's so profound. And what stood out to me about this is Saul's on the road with some of his companions going to arrest these followers of the way or these Christians. And then, boom, this blinding, brilliant light appears, knocks him down, and cries out to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responds blinded, and he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, right? And then Jesus responds to him. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter into the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. Now, obviously, Saul is floored, literally, right? And he gets up, and he has to be guided blindly. He doesn't eat for three days, it says. He says he was unable to see for three days, and he did not eat or drink. So think about how profound of an experience he has with Jesus, that for three days, he's just like in shock. What just happened? His world's been turned upside down. The Lord takes his sight and his appetite. But what does God do for Saul? He basically makes him the most prolific writer of the New Testament to take the gospel, not just to the Jews, but to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the heathens, the, the Greeks, right? And it even says to kings. And then if you go down a little bit further here, you see the Lord tells Ananias, right, directly to go meet with this other guy named Judas, who's on this road called Straight. And now think about this. Jesus could have just given Saul back his eyesight right there after the blinding light, given back his appetite, but he didn't. He invited two others to participate in the unification of Saul into the body to assimilate him into the family of the kingdom. And they were even nervous. Ananias says here, he says, and this is in chapter 9, verse 13, but Ananias replied, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, referring to Saul, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from chief priests to tie up all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, go, because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So think about this. Saul got to see how much he was going to suffer for God. And as we explore more into the book of Acts, Saul does not have um, an easy road ahead of him, does he? No, and it's in the doing. What you had said before when you started your conversation here that, you know, we can, you're talking to people that might be listening to us, we could read, but if we don't do, as you quoted from James, right, if we don't actually do, um, it, it, it's really nothing. I was thinking yesterday, I, uh, relative to that, I was interviewing a young girl. She's a hairdresser, and she wants to get out of that and get into another field, maybe insurance. And, and, uh, and I was saying to her that uh, similar analogous to what you're saying about we can't just read the Bible and say, yeah, it's good to read the Bible, but we have to get out and do. We have to practice that to live it, to do the things. And I said it's the same thing with insurance. 
not the Bible, but uh, I was telling her that you, you, you get your license, which is critical because you can't do anything without it legally. But that's just the knowledge. But that's just, yeah, that's all it is. But you actually have to do it. And several of the guys like Mark and his brother who are doing some work for me, you actually have to get out there and do it. And she very astutely said to me, she goes, I understand that. She goes, I'm a hairdresser. She goes, I took the course for hairdressing. She goes, but, and we went through all these courses, but until I actually began cutting hair, doing it, just like you're saying, doing what's in the Bible, doing what she learned there. She goes, you know, till you did your first haircut and went on, you actually have to do it. And, and you made me think of that when I'm thinking this, you actually have to do what's in here. Yeah. You can't so, just read so, so for me, it's the idea of you can consume a lot of knowledge and I try to, but it's, the point is moot a lot of the times because you can consume a lot of knowledge, but until you have the experience, the experience is what bridges the gap between knowledge and wisdom. The fact that you have experience now applying that knowledge in real circumstances. And you know, you want to experience a new life? Follow Jesus and do what he says to do. You want to experience joy and peace that surpasses all understanding? You got to get your hands dirty. You know what I mean? You, you just have to. But either way, the, the, the one point, the reason why I was even going over um, nine in the case of miracles is because I've noticed in the Bible, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, a theme that has emerged. And this is what was fresh in my mind from studying it this week, is that the Lord will often remove something from you to give you something new and not something better, right? So he takes away Saul's eyesight, takes away his appetite, and what does he give him? Just life everlasting, no big deal. Yeah. How, about, how about with Job, right? You remember Job in the Old Testament? What happens to Job? He loses everything, mm. everything, and he gets humbled. And then what does God do? He replaces it with so much more. Right? And there's, there's other passages too, like uh, I screenshotted a couple. Um, there's one from Isaiah, and it's, it's absolutely beautiful. It's Isaiah 66, 9. In the same way, this is God speaking, in the same way, I will not cause pain without allowing something new to be born, says the Lord. If I cause you pain, I will not stop you um, from giving birth to your new nation, says your God. Like, so what the Lord has in store for you, you know, we don't like being dis uncomfortable or, or um, any discomfort or pain, yeah. but you don't even know what's on the other side of that dark tunnel. It's something so much better when it's in Christ, when it's in God. So either way, he's going to take stuff from you and you're not going to like that because we, we're barely hanging on to the things we have sometimes. But once you let it go, again, that's like, that's where all the miracles happen. I was thinking about Peter this morning and how um, Jesus like healed like his mother-in-law and he didn't like follow her yet. Like he didn't follow Jesus yet. Mm -hmm. He's still like, you know, they weren't at the point of like casting the like nets over the, the boat yet. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's like there still took a lot of events that took, there was a lot of events that took place in order for him to be like, okay, like I'm gonna repent. Like I'm gonna fall to my knees and follow you, right? So like, yeah. That's how our pride works, right? We always talk about pride and how it leads to all these other sins, but sometimes pride is just a barrier between you repenting. And when I say repenting, I mean just turning and focusing on God and living for God and doing what he tells you to do. It's like, you're like, well, I don't know about that. Well, who knows better than you, God? You mentioned Job, just as an aside, I hope we can do Job yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. So I wanna tell cause I still question every time, once in a while it pops up in here, Job, for those who haven't read Job, read that, that story, but uh, it's it's uh, that pride thing, because we've talked so much about pride. I know we go back when we were doing a men's group there, too, and it's just always about pride. And, and I keep thinking, was that the whole thing about Job here? So hopefully one day we can go back to that. But for right now, Acts. Yeah, it's interesting how, I mean, re rewinding to back to where we started the conversation about the, uh, the Ethiopian and, and how God, you know, works in interesting ways 
uh, in people's lives and how it builds upon things and and how you see this guy and he's he's reading Isaiah and um, if you know much about Ethiopia um, you you know that they have a or had or still have a um, a, a big segment of of uh, kind of kind of like these quasi Jews that were living there because and that dates back to uh, King Solomon so King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba uh, at least according to, to the Ethiopians had a had a child um, uh, Menelik or something like that and who became the emperor and they kind of started weaving in Judaism and all of these things in with their own tradition so now it's like you see this Ethiopian again and what's he doing he's reading Isaiah and he's reading it out loud and it's, it's like this is part of their cultural heritage but but there's there's gaps because it's like they're so disconnected you know they're like halfway across the world yeah, for, there's no phones you know, right right so 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 but he's like reading this and he's studying it and he's trying to probably make sense of the bits and pieces that he was brought up with and he's kind of associated with royalty you know in some extent because he's a eunuch there he's a a highly valued uh person and and then Philip shows up there, and it's just kind of like this random story, right? And uh, and I just think it's interesting how this random story makes it in. How this guy is just riding along, reading Isaiah. Philip shows up, explains things to him, and then moves on. Now, if you continue on with um, Ethiopian uh, tradition and lore, I mean, now a lot of the Judaism has converted to. Christianity. There's a lot of Christian, you know, churches. Now they're 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 different than what we experience them as. Um, a lot of Coptic Christians, a lot of um, uh, like orth more Orthodox, but also, uh, again, I don't know. Maybe we'll never know. But they claim to be like the ones that have like the Ark of the Covenant and like all of these things. They have, you know, I was at their temple and they said, you know. We have all these like relics that they're they consider themselves as like the preservers of these things, but they won't let anybody in. It's funny because they have this right. yeah. they have this massive building. It's it's yeah. like their cathedral. Um, it's like a massive church. Um, it's like an entire city block, and yet they don't let anybody in the church. Uh, all their services are done out on the steps. So the priest will come out and he'll do the services on the steps and then and they go back in, which is kind of interesting. Um, and, and again, I, I, we could go into the, to the, to the theological sides of that, but, but have I just... They, have they ever let cameras in? No, they don't let anybody yeah, in. nobody past the so door. So there's, there's no proof other than their word that no they have... No proof other than their word. Wait a minute. I, I thought the Ark of Covenant after watching yeah, Indiana yeah. Jones in the government archives. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that may be too. Um, and, and, and but interestingly enough, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you look at the place and you're like, I don't know, but like, it doesn't seem horribly far fetched. And they have they have some reasons. They have a lot of their their logic, and they're just whatever. Um, and I don't know if it's true or not. Very likely, it's not true. But um, but they have other things that are just interesting there. We I didn't get to see all of it, but um. There's a church. They have several churches there that are carved out of stone. I went to one of them, um, but the most famous one was about maybe five hours away. I wasn't able to go to that one. And they literally, this massive stone, and they carved down into it. So it's not like, you know, not like out in the Midwest where they carve into the side of a mountain. This they actually carve down. And so when you're on the edge, you look, and it's, it's in the shape of a cross, 
and it's there and then you can kind of go down the staircase and then you're in this stone cathedral but it's just interesting how you see like these like little things and how God is working in these situations. Now, that's on a, on, on a macro scale, right? On a micro scale, you look at all these people's lives, ourselves included, and all the little things that God does over time. And he's just building up these situations. Obviously, you know, Johnny, you've been through things. Lenny, Ben, Mike, Dave, we've all had these like little things that even before we are like fully devoted followers of Christ, it's like oh, yeah. he's working, he's building, he's Absolutely. putting these things into place for the right time the right place and and that's we see it here it's like god had been preparing even this ethiopian right i mean it wasn't a cold it wasn't a a cold call it wasn't a hard sell for philip to um evangelize to him because he's already reading isaiah right he's already reading isaiah and 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 so to me it's like that's where um i feel like evangelism is at its finest you know, there's a lot of things out there evangelism-wise, and it's 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 a cold call kind of evangelism where you just right. go up to a stranger on the street and you start, like, trying to convince them that the way they've lived their life is wrong. You start and here, pissing them off. Let's just be yeah, real here. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you start pointing fingers in people's faces. It doesn't go well. And maybe you'll get them to say a prayer with you, and you can, you know, make a little uh, notch in your belt and you walk away. But what's the end result here? See, when it's good is it's when, well, it's like this, again, using another analogy, and I'm just kind of like shotgunning a bunch of stuff here, but um, using a different analogy is, is gardening, right? Uh, when, when I was a kid, I planted uh, tomatoes. It was the first thing I ever planted, right? And, uh, you know, after a little bit of time, I went out there and I saw, because I'm like, when is the tomatoes coming? And, uh, and and I my dad comes out there and he sees like all these green tomatoes and I had picked them and I started like trying to eat them, but you know, they're, they're no good. What was I doing? I was picking something that wasn't ripe and wasn't ready. This Ethiopian was ripe. And I think that the biggest mistake that we make in evangelism is trying to pick fruit that's not ripe. And and this is where this ties in with, again, with Jesus, which he, where he says, you know, um, uh, look, the fields are white to harvest. Pray to the Lord to send laborers because the laborers are few, but the harvest is already ready. But it's important for us to be able to uh, pick the ripe fruit. And so it's one thing to go up and, and you know, you find somebody who's who's adamantly against God, who's an atheist, who's maybe not even an atheist, just not ready. Or likes to argue. And, and we're just like yanking on this fruit. And it's like, it, it's not going to come off. And if it does come off, it's not going to be good. It's not, you know, it, it's, it's not ripe. It's not ready. It's not going to have any usefulness at all. It's important to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of the Holy Spirit bringing the people to the point. And this is why it, if you're picking, you know, fruit or vegetables or whatever, it requires somewhat of a gentle touch, right? You just go and if you're picking tomatoes, you don't have to jerk on them. It's like you go, you kind of feel, oh, this one's ready. And it almost falls off into your hand. Yeah. And that's what we see here with Philip. He sees this guy, he's reading Isaiah. He's like, hey, you want me to help you out here? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just reading this. How am I going to know unless somebody explains it to me? Yeah, there's something along the same lines, Judah, going along with the story that's that's also very important here. And as you're talking about it, I'm realizing, I'm looking at this verse 14. It's important because anybody that's listening to us, as well as ourselves, needs to know this. Look in verse 34. So we're in chapter 8, verse 34, still about the story of the eunuch and Philip. Look what the eunuch does. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, what was the prophet 
talking, uh, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then it says, so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. But the important thing is 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, what was the prophet? Was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? He asked, and that's what we need to do. A lot of people get into the Bible, and we know this and ourselves too. I mean, let's say when we read in the Old Testament, the, the prophets, the minor prophets, that could be heavy material. It could be thick. And so people don't ask and they get discouraged with the Bible. So they maybe they're almost right to use Judah's analogy, but you know, they get discouraged and, and we need to ask. This eunuch, yeah, Philip converted him, Philip got him, but that verse 34, the eunuch asked. He was reading Isaiah, but he didn't know is this the, was he talking about himself or someone? He asked, and we need to ask anybody that's reading the Bible that doesn't understand something or needs some magnification, some expounding on it, needs to ask someone else, needs to do research. That's so critical. Excuse me. Otherwise, it's like reading a book or, or getting into a course. If, if you get stumped or something and you just say, I, and you don't know where to go, you will throw that book away. You will give that course up and you will not complete it. And that's the same thing with the Bible. That's the same thing with scripture. We need to ask to go further than where we're at. If we're almost ripe or almost there. The analogy that, uh, or metaphor that I was given in um, some of my recent studies was, you have Michelangelo, he, he did this great sculpture. Everyone knows that Michelangelo's David. And it's the equivalent with the Bible, what you're saying here. Now, picture you have a hammer and a chisel, you go up to this giant block of marble, and you see, in your mind, you see Michelangelo's David, I'm gonna do this great sculpture. Put the, the chisel on there, you whack it with the hammer, a big chunk falls off the corner, and you're like, you're looking at it, where's my David? Where, where is he? He's not in here. Yeah. And then you just give up, and you walk away. It takes multiple swings of the hammer and the chisel, and if you keep refining it and, and chipping away at it, all of a sudden you start to have these amazing breakthroughs where all of a sudden you see a hand or you see a face or you see you know a shoulder or an elbow and you're like okay I'm starting to really get something out of this but if you hit that wall you got to break through that wall and sometimes like you said it's asking sometimes it's you know watching a video online maybe going to a church and speaking to a pastor or maybe on the street yeah. an evangelist or whomever but the the bible tells us seek and you will find there you go ask and receive Right, knock and the door will be opened. And, and moreover, it says too, God says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So if you're reaching for God and you're reaching for that Bible and you have a question, just hold out. God might just want you to wait just a little while longer before he's preparing somebody to have an answer for you. Because just like um, Jesus invites Ananias and Judas to be part of the restoration of Saul of Tarsus' sight where something like scales fall, falls off of his eyes and he gets his appetite back and he gets to eat a meal, God's going to do that with you when you're seeking him. He's going to invite other people into the story for you. He's going to say, hey, this is my other son. This is my other daughter. And they're a part of this too. And now you have a network of people in your life who can help you answer questions. If we, if we just think back in the Bible, again, for anybody listening and for ourselves, a lot of the things that we've read, there were always questions asked. Everybody asks questions. I mean, the rich man, how do I give this up? Jesus, how do I do this? Uh, you got to give up your mother and your father and your family. How do I do that? Nicodemus, didn't he ask a question too? He was a Pharisee. He asked Jesus in the middle of the night, what did he say? Um, he goes, how, do, how can I be born again? Everybody that wants to learn, that wants to seek, that wants to go further, especially in the Bible, they asked questions. We need to ask questions. Anybody that is beginning to study the Bible, that is just getting into this, 
needs to ask questions to get further, to find the truth. It's not just there. Johnny said that was perfect analogy, John. Uh, you, 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 that hammer and chisel, you, you've got to keep going at it That's in right. order to get to that David, yeah, in order to get to your David. Yeah. yeah. And here's the other thing, too. Uh, Judah just graciously brought up evangelism, which is very near and dear to my heart. And sadly, in like churchianity, right? In Christianese, it has a really negative connotation, especially to the secular world. It's like, you know, these televangelists or these people asking for money or these big mega churches or you being asked to go like knock on doors or something like you're a vacuum salesman. That's, that's not what it's about. Evangelism, I feel, because the Lord has blessed me in this regard. I have a very deep understanding of it now that I never had before. Evangelism looks like a great many things. One of the best uh, entry-level explanations I ever heard of it was like, it's like a talking to somebody and you're like, hey, you like you like hot wings or you like pizza or something like that? You're like, there's this new place that just opened up. You got to try it. If God is doing things in your life because you're drawn near to God and he's drawn near to you, why wouldn't you be excited to share it with somebody? Why wouldn't you be even a little on fire for the Lord? Let your salt and light shine for all to see, right? Don't yeah. hide it under a basket. That's, that's one great way to approach it. The other thing you see a lot in Christianity, at least I do, especially online, is a lot of street evangelists right. who they got the microphone, they got the speaker, they got their little crew with them, or maybe it's just a couple other guys, and they're doing what you're saying. They're sticking a finger in someone's eye. That's, that's not how, in my life, the Lord has shown me what evangelism is. Right. For me and me alone, I can't speak for anyone else, the Lord has put at my disposal a great number of tools and assets, one being Thrive Church, where there is a like there's sprouts for the babies for people who have you know maybe it's a single mom or whatever there's thrive kids like ages 4 through 12 where it's a youth program it's very family oriented but there's also the regular sanctuary where we do service for adults and that has been a blessing to have those three resources there a place where i can point people where we have three locations ultimately which makes it easier to get someone to walk through the door to rekindle their relationship with god or start their journey Another great resource, obviously, is the scriptures. David writes, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I can't tell you how many times my heart has been on fire for somebody to be saved by Jesus. Who want, Jesus is like that person. I love that person. And they just come out, and it's the right verse right. for that person, and they're weeping or something. Hmm. Right? So God will create those opportunities. Other resources is when Paul, Paul says here in the New Testament, he says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So apologetics is, is what that's called. It's apologia, it's like the Greek word for answer, to always have an answer, not to apologize, but to have an answer. So filling yourself with scripture has been one part of it, but another part of it has been filling my mind with mathematics and physics and the sciences and archeology span and history, the ability to show somebody that we don't just blindly believe, but we believe because we have so much evidence. Mm -hmm. It's just evidence that people who don't agree with it don't like other people to see or share. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. A lot of the time, you know, we're about to enter another presidential um, campaign cycle and, and, and race, right? You'll see your TV will soon be flooded with just trash. Trash from other campaigns, trash talking the, the competition or bragging about how, how great they are with their great sense of pride and how they're going to lead us into some golden age and, and era. And it gets to be so much noise that eventually people, they'll either thrive on it and feast on it and gorge themselves on it or they will be so like disenfranchised with the whole system that they just walk away because there's just too much noise. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's the same thing when it comes to God. Everyone's like, oh, Hinduism, oh, Buddhism, oh, you can be your own God, oh, New Age, oh, try these tarot cards. There's so much noise out there yeah. that when you do give somebody the truth, there's, it's often surrounded by like a sea of lies that people can't even get to it. Yeah. 
So until you actually develop a relationship with somebody in evangelism, like you, like me, I get to see people more than once, right? A lot of the time. I become like like an acquaintance and then I become a friend and they start to see the content of my character that's in Christ, not my own, but of Christ. And there's something about it that's a little bit different where what I'm saying isn't like what anyone else is saying. And then they go back into the world and they're like, well, what he was saying made a whole lot of sense. And he showed me this historical video or he showed me this historical text or he showed me this piece of archaeology. And they start to put together the pieces, but it's because God ordained it, not because I ordained it. I just was willing like Judas or Ananias here to help Saul. Yeah. So it's like in your walk with Jesus, I guess this is my point, right? In your walk with Jesus, when Jesus is inviting you to partner with him to go do the work of the kingdom, to make all things new, including people that you don't expect, are you participating in it? So some of the best evangelism I saw recently is, uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll refer it or related to marketing. Um, I was in, uh, I was in Popeye's, uh, getting some chicken. Yeah. I love Popeye's, you know, who doesn't love Popeye's? Oh, I was in Popeye's getting some fried chicken and, and I was in there and there was a, a lady that came in with her granddaughter and, uh, and she was in there, um, getting some chicken for her granddaughter. And she was talking to the cashier saying, um, have you tried the new Jamaican restaurant that just opened up? Like, you know, uh, in the, in the plaza next door. And the kid's like, no, and she's like, oh, you got to go there and you try the meat patties and the jerk chicken. And, and then she looks at me, she's like, you should go there and try it too. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know? So it was just kind of funny. And then, um, and then I went to the, uh, the worship night in our new Britain campus a week and a half ago. And as I was there, I was talking to a guy and he's like, oh, I, I saw you uh, at the farmer's market in Bristol. And I, we were, so we were talking about things or whatever. He's like, oh, you know, I live in Bristol too. He's like, have you tried this new Jamaican restaurant that just opened up across the street? And I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm like, I heard about it. And he's like, oh, it's really good. You should try it. And then I was getting my haircut last week and the guys there, they're like, hey, we're going to order from the Jamaican place. And the guy's like, oh yeah, this is great. So then, you know, the other day, where, where do we go grab some food? We, of course we go to the, the Jamaican place, right? Now, how much did that marketing cost them? Zero. Just coming up with a decent product, right? All these other restaurants, they got billboards, they're doing flyers, they're doing all this stuff. I talked, we went there, got food, it was great food. Now probably maybe some people will hear this and maybe they're going to go try it as well. Um, and, uh, and I was talking to the guy, he's like, they've been open for a month. And I'm like, how's business? He's like, it's going great. And I'm like, like, no kidding. Like everybody's talking about this. And, and it wasn't like forced. It wasn't anything. It was, it was simply, it was, well, and it's simply, I tried something. It was good. You should try it too. Yeah. And that's evangelism in a nutshell. Right. I tried something. It was good. It worked for me and you should try it too. And sometimes we get so into, well, let me tell you about the ingredients. Let me tell you about Jamaican history. Yeah. Let me tell you about, you know, uh, all, let me tell you about my family past. Let me tell you, yeah. and, and really at the end of the day, that wasn't what sold me. It, was it wasn't the graphic design. Cause I mean, you know, that wasn't great. It was nothing. It, it was simply the fact that several people said, hey, go here and, and here's what you should try. And it's really good. 
You know? Well, emphasize the point about uh, whoever, either you or Johnny, were talking about being forced. You weren't forced, though. You, it was just that you heard it a number of times, and you said, all right, I got to check this out. Somebody didn't come to you and say, hey, drag you to the Jamaican restaurant. Come on, you got to go, or right, that woman right. you first saw. Come on. Yeah, you, you're take, doing take this it. now. You're doing this now. <laughs> you, you, you heard it several times, and, yeah, you, and you finally said, you know what? I've heard this enough. Let me go see if this food is really that good. And, you, and, and it was, yeah. and you went there, but you were not forced. And it's the same thing here. And Johnny pointed out, you don't want to hit somebody over the head with this. You want to gently coax them. And that's why it's so important that you don't, you know, the Bible says no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bed or down in a basement or under a basket. And what that is referring to is when you are in Christ and you're given a new life and you're born again, it's your job just to love God with everything you have and then love people. And that's enough if you just say what you just said. Hey, this is my salt and light. You just say, hey, you should try this. Yeah. This is how it worked in my life. And that's what a testimony is. That, that grandma at Popeye's with her granddaughter, yeah. she just gave you a testimony. She said, right. it was good. Yeah. And then you heard other people say, oh, yeah, I heard something about it too. Right. But how is anybody going to, quote, unquote, hear something about it if we're not talking about it? Right. True. Like, oh, you won't believe what Jesus did in my life today. You know, I, I had this, I prayed, and, you know, sure enough, something happened. You know, I, pray, I prayed plenty of other times, and it, it didn't happen, but this time it did. Mm -hmm. And how awesome is that? In some ways, too, for, for Judah, it was nice that, he, like, you experienced that, like, it was too good to be true. That's why it's called the good news, yeah. right? And eventually you're like, all right, fine, I'm going to try it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and that's the thing, too, is it's like with us with followers of Christ, if we're not readily um, talking in that way, in a casual way, like not in a... Yeah. beating them over the brow with it but it's like have we really even ex fully experienced it right and, and so and that's the thing it's like that you know they fully experience it again this is a thing like with uh you know as businesses get bigger and whatever else you, you hire marketing companies and pr firms and all this stuff like that and they've not experienced it necessarily they're just out there coming up with a slick graphic and, and insert to you know run in a circular or to put on a tv or to do this or that or whatever and i mean it's like any of us that have had business like you know marketing and, and and you can figure out the return on investment but but what would you pay dave for three people going around town telling people how great your service is oh, man, give me that. you know i mean it, it, exactly and that's the thing it's like but it's because they experienced something and it was good taste and see that the lord is good when we taste that when we experience that then now it's like as we're as we're doing this and you know and it's like i, I know we're, we're all doing this in 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 many ways sharing our faith and talking to people we have countless stories of you know you know we were just talking about something that you were uh talking with uh you know today uh dave and mike you know the, the stuff at the gym and in the tattoo and you know like all of these things that it's like we have these opportunities and it just becomes an overflow when it becomes like forced when we're like amping ourselves up like oh i gotta go share my faith now and and, and i've had conversations with people that are under high levels of guilt because they're not sharing their faith as they should. And it's like, well, number one, have you experienced God? And number two, if you have, then just let it flow out. Like, it, it, it's not a beating it up, over, you know, but it's like, hey, I tried this, you know, I tried this church. Or, or, you know, I was reading the Bible. Man, this verse really stood out to me. You know, you ever read the Bible? You know, I mean, it's like just a casual, it's like it doesn't have to be. It. Right, it doesn't have to be, well, you need to go read your Bible for, you know, 30 minutes every day or else, you know, God's not going to love you. It's like. It's well, like for, for me, this has, is why I think this is so important, well, at least for me to do these, this Bible study. We've been doing for so long because I, I'm, I was reading the Bible anywhere today, but we get into this so deeply now 
and the opportunity to research and to hear your viewpoints. And so it's easier for me, even though I'd read the Bible so long, I don't think I wasn't evangelizing at all. Oh, you read the Bible. Okay, great. You know, some facts in there. Great. But now reading this, I, I feel comfortable with it. I, I, I'm, I don't know, I feel uh, euphoric sometimes about mm-hmm. it because I'm reading this and I enjoy uh, knowing about it and wanting to share it. So, and then, like I said, three people came up to me just recently, one just a couple days ago, and I said, oh yeah, I said, yeah, I could show you how to get on. And, and uh, yeah, we'd be happy to have you on there and listen. They said they, they hadn't been to church in years, but they were going through some trouble and they needed some help. So if you're listening, I'm, I'm happy that you are, and I'm hoping, again, that we're helping you out. And, and I feel happy about that. And that's, uh, this, being in this group has helped me to do that more, to, to go out and to freely share that, not, again, hit anybody over the head with it because yeah. I don't want to do that. But when they ask me to then be euphoric, I say, yeah, I, I found this out and I found that out. Has it helped you? Yes, it helped me in my life. It's helped me to, 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 to solve some issues, to get through some very difficult times. And, you know, my success in God has blessed me on, on top of all of that, you know, to, to take a sinner like me and to reclaim me, to redeem me. And, and that's what's the critical thing. It's not about the features. Right. Right? It's not about the features. And that's like whether it comes to churches or when it comes to our faith or whatever. Like churches, it's all it's, it's often about the features. Well, here's what we have to offer. Or when it's, you know, a world religion, well, here's what we have to offer. It's not about that. Again, taking this Jamaican restaurant. I mean, they're not saying, oh, their tables are great. Their chairs are comfortable. Man, it's a nice ambiance. And uh, and you know what? They, they use the freshest ingredients. And, you know, they, they imp- like, the I didn't care good. about the features. The food's good. Right. It's, somebody's like, I had it and it was good. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try it. And, and so if we kind of get that in the mindset of, of, oh, you know what? you I tried God and it was good. You know, I, I tried faith and, and I mean, look what God has done in my life. You know, he's given me a, a, a reason to live and God has, you know, helped me to overcome these strongholds in my life. And you know what? I don't know. I, I can't. The Thrive Church has an asteroids machine. Yeah. Well, yeah, we have an asteroid. Vintage 1979 or 77. I don't know. Yeah. Come, come to play our asteroids machine. Yeah. Like anyone cares. Yeah. Like with what you were saying before, you said the word overflow. And I heard you say this one time and it really resonated with me that like we're like a cup, right? And God and the Holy Spirit is like the water, right? And he, he pours it into us if we let him. But if you're full with all this other stuff, like let's say it's dirty, muddy water, or let's say it's, you know, soda or beer or wine or whatever it is, right? He's putting that Holy Spirit in there, but it's, you're contaminating the water with the other stuff. But with enough of the Holy Spirit or Jesus or God being poured into your cup, it washes out all that filth. It washes out all that poison, right? And eventually... The glass is so clean because so much like a waterfall has just spouted down into this glass, washed it clean both inside and out. And now the cup at the brim is just overflowing like a, like a fountain. So when you're full and on fire for the Lord, or maybe you're not like on fire, like when you think about a typical, stereotypical on fire for the Lord person, right? But when you're full of his Holy Spirit, he'll lead you and he'll make opportunities for you to share your faith or to share a testimony. And I can't tell you how many times in my journey of discovering like who I am in Christ, what the Lord taught me each step of the way when I was like, what would you have me do today? What do you want to teach me today? Like, Lord, you know, you're the father of the fatherless. Help me out here. You know, like, like, Lord, I don't know how to be a human. Show me how to be a human. And he's like, just slow down. Just calm down. Just 
do what you've been doing, and something will happen. Just keep talking to me, keep reading your Bible, keep going to church, and all of a sudden it's like here's an opportunity to serve. But I say, Lord, I don't want to serve. So Why should I have to serve? I had a hard life already. Like, all I've been doing is serving just to barely scrape by, and you want me to go help other people? And he looks me dead in the eye and just says, yeah. yeah. So I'm like, what do you say to God then? No. So then I go and try it, and by the end of it, I'm like, oh. And I would have never known that if I hadn't taken the knowledge that he gave me in the Bible, was obedient when he did speak to me, and then gained that experience, that practical wisdom, right, from experience. He's making all things new. He's, he wants to make you new. He wants to take from you whatever, you know, like, like he took from Saul and give you something better. Yeah. Let that happen. Like Philip, as I said before at the outset of this conversation, if we let God lead us, and you mentioned the word obey, John, and I didn't mention that before, so I'm going to reiterate what you just said. If, if we let God lead us and we obey God wholeheartedly, he will lead us as he did Philip, as he did Paul and many others in multivarious ways and maybe in ways that we wouldn't have thought of. He'll, he'll create great uses for each one of us. Anybody that's listened, any one of us at this table, if we let him lead us and if we obey him wholeheartedly. Well, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up uh, for this week. We'll pick back up uh, next week and, you know, just uh, encourage each of us to look for those opportunities that we can share a story, you know, just be that little uh, little uh, uh, opportunities to, to share our faith, to be the witness, to just lovingly point people towards Jesus. So anyhow. Turner Burn. Having the sign, Turner Burn, the end is near. And we have an uh, Asteroids machine at our yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we have, come try Thrive. We have an Asteroids machine. In free play. Yeah. See you later. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also consider sharing it on social media. We can't wait to be back together with you at the Thriving in the Word podcast.